Okay, so I'm here with Magdalena. Hey, Magdalena. Hey. How's it going? Hey. It's going well. I'm chilling, you know, living my best life. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, as you know, we're here to talk about mental health. I'd love to just, I really don't know anything about your history with mental health or anything like that. So uh, wherever you want to start is totally fine. I, I like the first question, like when did you first learn about mental health um, mm-hmm. as just like an idea or like even something to think about? Um, right. So feel free to start there as a jumping off point. Yeah. Um, I think I immediately had this kind of like realization of how my mental health was doing and like what that meant for me was when I was in middle school, when I was like 12 years old. Um, I just felt really sad all the time and very isolated. And I think it just like led to me having this whole like emo phase that never went away. Um, I think it had to do with the fact that, um, you know, I had a lot of repression towards like my queerness and just like other identities that obviously as a child I didn't realize so um because so many things were kind of like um undealt with I would say uh it just kept getting like more and more stressful and I come from a Latinx family so um it's usually not talked about so I think like I was just confused about like mental health and like what that meant yeah, I think that like as soon I because I went through something very similar in middle school, and like you don't you're so unaware of the concept, or at least back then, like no, I felt like even though it wasn't that long ago, like no one really talked about what it was to be depressed or and especially like when you're at that age, it's also mistaken for just like teen angst. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like it's not really actioned because it's like, oh, that person will grow out of it or, or something like that. Right. Did how did like your family and people react to it? Was it kind of just like brushed over? And was it something that like continued? When did you start kind of like realizing that it was, you know, something to be dealt with? Um, definitely, um, early high school, I was really trying to seek help and was trying to like get a therapist, but there just was no resources that I knew about. And every time I brought it up to my mom or dad, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, we do everything for you. You're fine. And it was just like brushed over. Um, but as for my friends, I feel like there was no boundaries. Um, I didn't know what boundaries were and we all just like were sad together and it kind of probably enabled each other. Um, so I think, um, there was definitely like a sense of community, but it definitely wasn't the best. Like we would probably like trigger each other without even realizing. Um, but obviously we were kids and we had no idea (laughs) what we were doing, but now I'm definitely more mindful of it. So I think, um, in the, in the very beginning of realizing that like something was wrong, I definitely wanted help, but I didn't know how to get help. So... Right. Did you end up getting help? Yes. (laughs) Um, So an interesting thing is uh, I 
made or not majored. I um, took an AP psych class my senior year of high school. And I remember learning about borderline personality disorder and I heavily related to it. But I think the biggest harm is that we are taught to not self-diagnose ourselves, which I definitely understand because it's, it can be harmful, but I think we should be able to believe people when they have a feeling because we know ourselves best and to be at least able to talk to professional about our experiences that we're dealing with. Um, so uh, I've, been, I've been hospitalized twice and one, once when I was 18 and once when I was 21. And I've definitely had bumps in the road, but I would say I didn't really fully get help until 2019. That's when I finally started going to therapist. And um, this is the first time where I really feel like I've, I've been overcoming intergenerational trauma and I feel more grounded and present. And I just finally know what it's like to feel quote unquote normal, whatever that means, you know? <laughs> so. You, you said that you were, you went to a therapist for the first time in 2019. Yeah. And so when you were hospitalized at 18, the first time, what, what was that for exactly? Um, so I, so I'm from Southern California and I moved to San Francisco for college right when I turned 18 and I was the first one out of my family to move. So it was a big deal because most of my family stayed in Southern California or they, part of the Latinx experience is you just stay with your family and you don't move out. Um, if you're single or even if you're married and have kids, cause it's easier. So they were definitely worried for me. Um, but I was excited because I just wanted to escape so badly and start over. Um, and I think that all the trauma that I hadn't sought help for really caught up to me. And um, about like a month and a half in, I did try to film myself. And um, they, they uh, require that you do like attempt to get a therapist and seek help. So I did it, I did what was mandated. Um, but, um, after a while I would just like ghost my therapist and like, I was never really healing. I, I, I think like I would just do what was required when I was younger. And it wasn't until I really like was motivated within myself to get the help where I actually like did the inner work and healing. So when, when you moved away, what, uh, were you, you were just feeling like feelings of depression? Um, was there anything else accompanied with that? Or was it just like, cause I've, I've been in a very similar place. I also, when I turned 18, I just like mm -hmm. wanted to leave immediately. I left the country for six months. <laughs> so I was like, I need to get out of here. Right. <clears throat> um, so I know that feeling of like needing to escape. Um, right. And uh, I definitely dealt with a lot of feelings of suicide, like suicidal ideation. Right. Um, but uh, I never made any attempts or anything like that. Um, and I was really lucky to, I, I started seeing a therapist when I was like 13, when my parents got divorced and I just like never stopped. Um, okay. And I think that was so helpful for me, like to understand what I was right. going through. And I, I can't, I truly can't imagine where 
I would have been if I didn't start seeing a therapist at that age. Exactly. Um, but uh, I'm curious, like the, the the feelings that drove you to to that point where mm-hmm. you feel like, you know, you really needed to, you just couldn't bear the sadness anymore. Could could you describe what that felt like for you? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because uh, even though so long ago, I remember it so vividly, um, especially the time when I was 21. Um, both times I've had feelings of worthlessness and feeling like everyone hated me. Um, I like was so convinced that like I wasn't worth existing anymore. Um, so just running that repetitive narrative and just being so stuck in my head Um, I'm definitely an overthinker and I definitely took anything personally that was said negatively about me and I would always replay that in my head and believe it and would immediately um, victimize myself and feel sorry for myself. So I just would be like, you know, I deserve this because I'm this, this and this. And um, it was definitely really, really negative and I would lose friends because of it because it pushed people away. And I think that further fed into feeling um, hopeless um, because I wasn't getting therapy. I wasn't healing. um, I didn't have proper boundaries. And um, I just like had so much abandonment trauma and not getting enough attention uh, growing up that um, it kept manifesting itself until I finally got the help that I needed. So. So was this like a constant struggle for you uh like through your early 20s what did it did it get better and worse was it kind of up and down like i know that's that's the way i've experienced depression and other mental health stuff so great yeah uh, it was definitely up and down for me especially because i was coming into my queerness um i came out as I kept having so many different labels and that's fine. You know, sexuality is fluid. I just was so confused a lot of the time. Like I was in a relationship with this straight cis white male, which was like the worst thing I could have ever done. <laughs> but, um, and that really confused me because I was with him for two years and that took a toll on my mental health because I felt very caged and trapped. And at the time I wasn't out as non-binary yet or out as queer. I was just, um, at the time I think I went, as like pansexual or bisexual. Um, And then after I broke up with him, I wasn't sure if I was a lesbian. So I I definitely think that uh, my queerness came a lot into like feeling frustrated and confused my mental health. Um, So it was definitely ups and downs early twenties. And then once I was 21, it just was a lot of drinking. And I think a lot of queer spaces just like further encourage that and enable that um so wanting to have a sense of community but realizing that my community is usually out drinking and partying i felt like that was my only option and it just further um led me down this hole of like feeling even lonely lonelier even though i was around a lot of people um so i definitely would say it got so much harder and when i realized i wasn't keeping uh, any friendships um that's when i was like okay like what can i do about this like how can i own this and start to really take care of myself. It's it was interesting to hear you talk about, um, you know, like your own personal struggle and your internal 
thoughts because I see you as such like a light person, like a very well liked person. Um, and, uh, I mean, not, I, I don't know you that well, but you know, just, just from like getting to know you over the past couple of months, like you, I know I said this to you the other day, like you exude good vibes. Like you are such like a bright human. And, uh, I think that's like a really incredible thing that you were, that it seems to me from the outside, at least that like, you've come a really long way. Yeah. Do you feel like that internally? Um, I've always been like someone that was kind of like, I don't want to say like, I was never stereotypically popular, but everyone always knew me and was always like, you're so bubbly. You're so outgoing. Um, and you always come across so happy. So it confuses me that you're sad. So that's some, that's a thing that I've always had. Um, like this magnetic energy to draw people in. Um, but I would always self-sabotage. And now I can confidently say that like, I'm definitely more present and grounded and ready to have stable relationships, whether platonic. Um, and then I have my romantic partner, obviously. Um, so I think that part of myself has always been integral to who I am. Um, that's never going to change. I've just learned to grow into the person I'm meant to become and like see the healthy parts of me that have always been there. Can you talk more about like that learning that's happened? Like what, what changed for you? Like, I know you talked about a lot of the queerness and coming, you know, accepting yourself, but you know, I think that a lot of people, they go through that. They go through the acceptance of whatever it is, their gender identity or their sexuality whatever the case is. And, you know, a lot of those feelings, they don't, they don't go away. Right. So what do you, what do you think you learned? What changed? I mean, I, I learned that it's okay to forgive yourself. Um, because I kept making mistakes, um, as I learned more about myself and I, I definitely hurt people along the way. Cause you know, sometimes there's like collateral damage that happens when you're trying your best to like heal and learn more about yourself. Um, and so I think that those are the biggest things I learned is that, um, everyone has been some version of themselves that wasn't who they're meant to be. And, um, there's people that come in your life that are more meant to be lessons and, and then there are people that stick around that are blessings. Um, so I think, the biggest thing that took so long for me to get over was forgiving myself. Um, because I would always be like, wow, I like ruined this relationship with this person and I can never forgive myself for that because I'm awful. And, um, I kept having that narrative. Um, and I would further have this like assumption that everyone hated me. Um, and to be honest, I still struggle with that a little bit. I've definitely gotten a lot better. Um, but I think, you know, we're taught, to be um, resilient and like not react to things and not take things personally. And me being a very sensitive empath, it was really hard for me because I thought sensitive was a negative word. That's something I've learned was that being sensitive is really empowering and it's like a superpower almost. Um, And so that was really uh, cathartic for me in a way um, to realize that all those qualities that I saw as negative were actually neutral and they were powerful and empowering in their own way. 
because I always thought you had to be strong and that you can't be weak. And I, I always felt like I was weak, but I realized because of my, um, my journey to wellness, I actually am a lot stronger than I realize. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I really resonate with that. Like I was, I've been called sensitive my whole life also. And like trying to reconcile the idea of like sensitivity and masculinity and like thinking those two things were like not compatible <laughs> when I was younger, just cause of like all the toxic masculinity that right. we're raised on. Um, and I think that can be really damaging. Like when you think of yourself as, as weak and like when people describe you in words that you connect with weakness um and yeah i I don't think that's really talked about a lot like the the words that we used that we use to describe people and how those can be internalized and really like what they can do right um so are you did you start taking any medication or anything um was that part of your mental health journey yes um i so i actually had to take meds when i was 18 and i don't i think i took like a lamotrigine and something else um and i hated it um and it felt very robotic um so i was really put off from medication for years um and then this year, you know, I moved from California to New York a month before the pandemic and I was starting grad school and I was going through so many transitions and I, w- I, I dealt with the loss in the family and there was just so much grief for me. So I really felt like I needed to go a step beyond what I was doing in therapy and get help with medications. Um, and I was nervous at first because, you know, uh, I feel like there's like a skewed perspective on Western medication because you only see the negative side of it, but it really changed my, my perspective. Um, my, um, uh, she's not a psychiatrist. She's a nurse practitioner, I believe. Um, but I always call her my psychiatrist. When I met her, I connected with her instantly and, um, she prescribed me uh, Prozac and Abilify um, to help with like any paranoia I have as well as like anxiety. Um, and I feel like Prozac really just helped me find stability because I was always so in my head constantly. And now I never like, I don't think of my thoughts as much, like rarely, like I definitely recognize what it means to be present. And it kind of blows my mind that I'm like, wow, is this how people that don't have mental illnesses feel? (laughs) Um, so that was like a huge step in my wellness journey was finally like agreeing and, and trying it out and taking that risk and realizing what worked for me. That's great. I, I started, uh, I did Prozac in high school and I had like the worst reaction ever. Mm. I don't know if you know about that. Like there's a thing with Prozac specifically, like a certain percent of the population has like an extremely negative reaction. And Uh, yeah, and uh, it causes like intense suicidal thoughts. Okay. Yeah. Um, But I've also heard great success stories with Prozac as well. But I had a very similar experience with medication. Like I tried a bunch of things, 
like didn't like it went off for a while and then really just like a year ago was the first time i started again um and it's been really incredible for me i think like it's medication is weird with uh with with mental illness because it's just like it's weird because you want to you want to be able to, you feel there's like this idea and maybe it's like this, it's a toxic, I don't know, Western idea of like needing to do things on your own. I don't know if you felt that all, but like, I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing actual work on myself if I'm just relying on medication. Like I'm yeah. letting all the medication do the stuff and I'm like ignoring the actual problems. And right. did you feel like that at all? Or do you feel like yeah. that at all? Um, I definitely, sometimes I expect the medication to do all the work for me. Um, but I think because I kind of already started my therapy journey and was dedicated to sticking with it and not ghosting my therapist, I was more dedicated to making sure I was like healing. Um, like my therapist and, and uh, nurse practitioner were both, were both like, wow, you're really, that's something that you're really dedicated to. Like I always recognize that you do like, your homework and you, you do your steps of like, what you need to do. Um, I would say the only time where it was really hard um, was when I had to get an increase in my Prozac because I dealt with another loss in the family in the summer. So um, it just was like a shock to me and I was relying on my medication to do that work for me. And I was just hoping that it would help. And I had a a rough patch um, somewhere like around September because I was just, you know, like thinking like, okay, this medication will help prevent me from, from feeling like shit, but then you still have to do the work within yourself and see what, what else is missing. So. Yeah. I feel like a medication just allowed me to do like the work on myself. Like I wasn't even in a place to even like conceive of what that might look like (laughs) before I started medication because I was just like so down. So I think that if you're if you are in that place, medication can really can be super helpful and it doesn't replace doing the work at all. Like all of that stuff is still there. It just I don't know, for me, like it just made me feel less hopeless. Um Yeah, hundred yeah. percent agree. Um yeah. I I was uh I was so low in April and um it was like, you know, peak Finding, I mean, the pandemic's still a thing, but like peak hearing about it and like there being like um, a lockdown somewhat. <laughs> um, and I just was feeling so isolated and in a new environment. Um, so that medication really helped me like snap out of it and actually like feel motivated and energized again um, and really like calm me down. And I just, I feel like I've never, I've never honestly felt that kind of inner peace in my entire life until this year. So it was really beautiful to witness. What are some things that you're doing now or have done in the past that help you maintain good mental health? Honestly, journaling while I'm in therapy and then like journaling after and having like a morning routine helps me like where I pull tarot cards and light my candles and have my altar set up. Um, And just 
realizing that I don't always have to talk about my mental health with people because that was an issue was like that was like the primary source of my conversations um, in the past and I think that's why I like scared off so many people and pushed people away um, but I think there's a balance in normalizing that and still having boundaries of like we should be having more conversations about mental health and normalizing it because there aren't enough conversations about mental health and now that I've been diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, I got the diagnosis um, in, ooh, like maybe in the summer. Uh, I um, now I'm like looking into more resources to even further advance my journey and my wellness journey. Because um, every time you think you, you overcome something, a new thing uh, unravels itself. So um, I think I'm still overcoming abandonment issues but I definitely have coping skills for like taking care of myself after therapy um, making sure that I have a plan to take care of myself and like a safety plan I think all of those things are really important to utilize um, whether you're not have access to therapy um, because your own like well-being and safety is really important yeah you said something that I really resonated with which is uh like every time you think you've overcome something, another thing kind of unravels, which I feel like is so important to understand if you're battling mental health issues, because I think right. a lot of times you're like, I need to, I need to beat this. Like I need to, I need to, how do I feel better? And it's just not, it's rarely that simple. If you're struggling with mental health, like even through, the medication, the therapy, like all of the great healthy things that you do for yourself. There are always new things that are always new challenges, always new things in your life that you won't be able to predict that are going to affect you in, in a way that you can't predict. Yeah. So it's all about, it's about managing. It's about like appreciating the good moments. And I think that, you know, as you said, like there needs to be more conversations about mental health, which is exactly why. I'm doing this. Yes. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you could uh, just explain um, borderline personality disorder. Um, I definitely don't remember like the textbook definition, so I'm going to reframe to what my therapist says: is that people with borderline personality disorders are a seekers of connection. Like my, um, I'm very much. Uh, sensitive to my relationships with people so like if people don't give me attention or if they don't talk to me I get really paranoid um, and I attach that to my self-worth um, so I have like I'm prone to being really anxious paranoid and depressed um, because of that and usually it's all about connection so if anything severs that connection it immediately like is a reaction um, so usually when I like am dealing with an argument, I immediately like, uh, my energy spikes into a negative reaction. Um, and only other people that have it, like know what I'm talking about, but it's, it's kind of like what people say, um, they're depressed when really they're just sad. And it's like, you, you don't know what I'm experiencing until you go through it yourself. Cause it's, it's it's kind of scary. Like, it's just like, there's a lot of suicidal ideation with borderline personality disorder too. And it just feels very isolating. And you just constantly believe that 
you're alone and no one likes you. That's definitely like the most common thing. Um, but yeah, I don't remember what the actual like definition is. I just, I was determined to get a diagnosis and, um, just because I wanted to figure out how to heal further because both my therapist and nurse practitioner believe in like a trans, uh, dimensional way, um, like an approach to healing that doesn't require diagnosis, which I actually agree with. Um. So I think that's like another important part of mental health is like that doesn't, this, this label does not define you too. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, but I actually totally know what you mean. And I very much experienced the same thing. And yeah. I think that's like a, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, you're, that's such a good point is like, we don't have to put labels on everything. I think, I right. am just like someone who likes labels as a way for my brain to like organize things. But uh, like, if I feel a thought, I'm like, okay, that's a depressed thought. Like that's an anxious thought. Um, no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really resonate with what you're, with what you're saying about uh, like tying self-worth to relationships. Like that is something I talk about in therapy all the time. Um, and like developing like, meaningful connections with people and like getting scared that if they're not feeling the same thing I am and like right. not even in a romantic way like in a completely platonic way oh 100% actually most of my trauma is from friendships it's not relationships um like I have such abandonment issues of like people just ghosting me um so I think that I would definitely say when I felt like I had borderline personality disorder when I was 17 I definitely should have advocated for myself more, um, but I didn't have access to that. Um, and I would say usually people with borderline have it more when they're like more intensely when they're younger. So I, I definitely was showing extreme symptoms ages 18 to 20 and I just wasn't getting the help. And um, I almost didn't get the diagnosis because we were debating if I was borderline two or, um, or, uh, or, bipolar too sorry for borderline or bipolar too and um uh i was still trying to figure that out so i was very confused on the labels because like you know it's easy to get misdiagnosed i just didn't want that for myself and some people like just like easily go with whatever their doctor says but only we are the expert of our own experiences so that's like the most important thing to understand is is no one's gonna know us like we know ourselves yeah that's that's so true it's really hard when you're younger to trust yourself in that way because like you see adults all around you and like you know they're you like you know how you're seen you know like you know you're seen as a kid who i don't know i i felt like i just i don't and maybe this is like part of my you know, mental health stuff. But I just like, when I was younger, I just felt like I couldn't trust myself. Like mm. I never felt like I, I was just thinking about this when you said like advocating for yourself, like you had wished you advocated for yourself. Like I never would have been like even thought, I never even would have thought of something like that. Like to talk about, you know, what my different feelings were. Like so I was told I was depressed and then I was told I had ADHD and then I was told 
I had an anxiety disorder, like everything, you know? And I was like, okay, okay. Like, that's what you think. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard when you're diagnosed and like put into these boxes and by people who you think know better than you to start like access, accessing your own real feelings about something. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I actually, I'm really big on like believing younger people because I work with foster youth. And when my foster youth tell me straight off, like they're 14, 15, and they're like, I'm depressed. And I know I'm depressed. Like I believe them. Um, And I know that there's like harm in like diagnosing yourself, like I mentioned earlier, but it's like, I'm not going to question their experiences. Um, And uh, I think it's really important to move past that and figure out like okay like how do we move forward from here like what does your wellness journey look like um so i think that's a really important approach a holistic approach to take when working with younger clients because you know we're talking about our own experiences of how we just believed the the professionals and it's important to take that step and like having that um advocacy for yourself yeah I think that's something that needs to be uh, emphasized more in general. When I know you like you talked a lot about kind of like your thoughts that the thoughts that occur when you uh, when you're experiencing like depression or anxiety or, or whatever it is. But what could you talk about like the feelings more like what does it feel like to you? It feels like, uh, I honestly feel like I'm like Eeyore and everything is like, like a cloud is over me. Um, I feel like I don't notice anything around me, which can further cause like self-sabotage because I'm so focused on like being in my head and it's, it just feels like all I hear are my thoughts echoing and they're kind of like, I imagine it's like my thoughts are like on a Frisbee table and they're like bouncing off of each other. Um, and usually um, my anxiety steps in and takes over and it's like, hey, we're gonna chill here now. And my chest will be really, really tight and my stomach will hurt. Um, and I just won't feel any like relaxation in my body. Like I'll just be really tense in my jaw. And um, I will definitely like tense up with my mouth, like I, I always keep my tongue on the roof of my mouth, which is definitely not a way to relax yourself. So those are all things I, I do when I'm feeling very stressed and anxious. And when I'm depressed, I just completely have a hard time taking care of myself. Like I've always felt disgusting when I'm at my worst with depression. Cause like, I don't feel motivated to brush my teeth or shower or go to the bathroom. Um, that's when it's at its worst. Cause like I've definitely had to have like my partner like pick me up and be like okay we're gonna go to the bathroom together and we're gonna shower and you're gonna brush your teeth and like that's the only thing that'll get me to do it um so I'm just so grateful that I have my partner and that I have someone that I trust wholeheartedly that I live with that can hold me accountable and like challenge me and encourage me because I feel like if I didn't have my partner it's not that I don't have any worth anymore, but I definitely have someone that can like keep me mindful of like what I'm doing. That's amazing. And 
it's so important to have those types of people in your life if you're struggling with mental health. Um, And not just not just people that are like that will take care of you when you need it, but like even when you're not feeling that way, just knowing that if something like that happen or when it happens again, that they're there can actually be really comforting and stabilizing. What, uh, what advice do you have for people going through the same thing as you? Um, similar. Believe in yourself. Um, you're not alone. And, um, I think it's really easy to feel like there's no hope and that everything's against you and that, um, it's easy to convince ourselves of our negative self-talk, but there's so much beauty in you continuing to exist because there's no one like you. Um, so I think that it's really important to, you know, kind of say F you to everyone else around you that might make you feel worthless and may make you question who you are and just like prove to yourself that you can get through anything, any obstacle that's thrown your way. Cause I think that's the most empowering thing is doing it for yourself versus doing it for others, which I know is easier said than done, but trust me, I believe there's so much, um, relief that comes from that inner peace of just like taking that time to trust and believe in yourself. Amazing. All right. Well, we're at the end here, but if there's any, uh, anything else that you wanted to say about mental health, go for mm-hmm. it. You don't have to have anything, but just wanted to give you extra. I, I, I do actually. Um, I think it's also important to have conversations with like your partners or your friends or family members that don't know how to deal with mental health and your mental illness. Um, and figuring out ways to be an ally. So even if people are listening to this and they're like, I don't know how to support my partner or my friend because they deal with this. I think looking it up is really important and not, and knowing that um, you're not going to get it right the first time and just expressing that like humility of being like, listen, like I care about you. So I'm going to work through this with you and you're not alone and showing that validation. Um, and, and coming up with a safety plan together. I think having a safety plan with like a safe um, support network with whoever you trust um, doesn't hurt to try. Um, because you could come up with like what coping skills work for you. And then you can be that friend that's like, hey, remember you need to use this, this, and this to feel better. Um, and that really goes a long way and can make an impact on someone's life. So That's so true and such a good note to end on. Thank you so much, Magdalena. You're awesome. And uh, yeah, I uh, hope to have you back on again one day in the future after this podcast gets really successful. (laughs) I hope I do. I'm so happy that this is going to be a thing now. So (laughs) Amazing. Well, thanks again for joining. Got you, of course.